0: You're, you're good at following orders a little bit, but I don't think I, I, don't think I said sit down, did I? <laughs> That's okay, you can remain seated. Uh, God knows who you are and we had an opportunity to recognize you. Right now we want to pray for you uh, and your fellow servicemen and we want you to know that we, we do see you. Let's pray. Father God, I just thank you so much for the men and women who have served, uh, those who have served for our country, those who have served for your kingdom those who have served for your glory, for your goodness, uh, to fight for love and for peace and for justice. Lord, I pray that we will never stop seeing the sacrifices that are made by our, our friends, our neighbors, by our spouses, by our children, by our parents. The sacrifice, Lord, I pray that we will honor them. Because in doing so, in acknowledging their service for what they have done in the sacrifice, ultimately, we're praising a God who gave everything for us. And so this morning, Lord, I pray that we will see You and Your sacrifice of what Jesus did for us, and never forget that You are the one who allowed us to have that footprint of freedom that that was landed here for all of us to be free from our sin and we thank you for that it's in the name of Jesus that I pray amen today is a very special day I I love veterans I love what they have done for our country the sacrifices that they have made and I want them to be honored But I also want us to talk about how we can honor other people who may have never worn camouflage, who may have never stepped into a jungle uh, or onto a desert, who never jumped out of a plane or climbed into a submarine. I want us to think about other people and the sacrifices that they have made, and for us to simply acknowledge that. It's easy for our, our finite minds to grasp the the thought that there are other people in this world that because we don't see what they're doing on a regular basis, because we don't think the way that they think, we don't know the struggles that they've gone through, we forget. And maybe part of the forgetting is the fact that we never quite acknowledge the sacrifice that other people made. Even people that we don't like. And so this morning, I want to go through just a few minutes, several different passages in which we see Jesus doing something that in some ways is very commonplace, but in other ways it's quite extraordinary. Several months ago, we talked about the story of little Zacchaeus, the wee little man who climbed up in the tree. But one special verse that touched me in reading and going through that was Luke chapter 19, verse 5, is Jesus' response and what He does when He comes across the wee little man. We know the story. Uh, he's a tax collector. Uh, he's wealthy. Uh, he probably struggles not only in being vertically challenged, but possibly even being morally challenged. Uh, Because as a tax collector, in some ways, uh, he hasn't been the patriot. Uh, uh, On the contrary, he's been the one who seemed to turn his back on his own countrymen. And he has collected taxes, maybe even beyond what he should have, because he's a wealthy man. And so he's not the best individual. But here's what's really special about Luke chapter 19 is that as Jesus comes underneath the tree where Zacchaeus has climbed up to get a look at him, Jesus stops and he does something really interesting. He looks up and he sees Zacchaeus. And I just think it's so important that Jesus, with all that He has going on and all the different people, He stops to look up at a person who wasn't really interested in getting that close to Jesus. He just wanted to get a glimpse. But Jesus actually saw Zacchaeus. He looked up at him. One of my favorite stories showing that, that Jesus stops and He looks is found in uh, uh, Matthew chapter 9, Luke 8, and Mark 5. It's a story you've heard me tell many times. It's the story of Jairus and the bleeding woman. But this is another example of a Savior who stops and He looks. He sees this woman She comes up behind him in the crowd. She is trying to be as covert as possible. She is probably in some sort of disguise because if anybody finds out who she is and what she's doing, they will literally kill her. And she uh, hides herself. She goes up behind him in the crowd. Not like Jairus who comes face to face. She comes behind him and touches his cloak because she says, if I just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. And of course she was healed, but that's not the end of the story. Jesus recognizes that power has come out from him and so he stops. Because he knows what the woman really needs is not physical healing. It's to be recognized and acknowledged. And Jesus stops. I get to work with a a group of uh, men on Tuesday mornings uh, men who are imprisoned, they're inmates uh, at Lee County Correctional Facility, and each week I challenge them to, to learn a new memory verse. And about a month ago, I challenged them to learn Luke chapter 8, verse 47. It's a very obscure verse, but it says this, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, she came and trembling fell at the feet of Jesus and told Him, Her whole story. You see, she could not go unnoticed. Jesus would not say, I'm too busy. Jesus did not say, I've got other things going on. Jesus stopped and He listened and He looked at her and He called her daughter. Jesus looked and He saw and He acknowledged this woman who no one else in her town even cared to be around. Then we have, of course, in Luke chapter 23, Jesus is hanging on a cross, suspended from three nails in agony and pain. The thorns on His head had dug deep. The whip on the back had left him in utter pain. And now that torn up back was being rubbed up and down on a rough piece of wood as he labored to breathe. And there at his feet were men who were gambling for the clothes that they had taken off his body. He was in pain and he was humiliated. And He was the Son of God who had the ability to fight the fight and change everything. And He looked. Not at people who were doing the right thing. Not the people who agreed with Him. Not the people who were on His side. These were people who had stripped Him of His clothes and now they're gambling to see who's going to go home with them. And Jesus looked down at them, and He forgave them. Because Jesus was willing to look and He was willing to see people the way only God could see them. One more story I want to look at is in Luke chapter 7. It's a rather lengthy passage. Many of us are familiar with it, but I want to take the time this morning and read through it again because there's something special that's going to take place in it. It's in Luke chapter 7 starting in verse 36. It says, Now one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with Him, so He went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume, and she stood behind Him at His feet weeping. She began to wet His feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisees who invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman that she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two men owed money to a certain moneylender. One of them owed 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither one of them had enough money to pay them back. So he canceled the debts of both of them. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned towards the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not even give me a kiss. This woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, Her many sins have been forgiven because she loved much. But he who has been forgiven loves little. Imagine the scene, what's taking place. The Pharisee is going on and one of the things that they were really good at is trying to figure out out who was better than everybody else. And here he's at this party. Jesus has been invited. The woman has not been invited. But in that Uh, In that uh, time period, it was customary for people who were not able uh, to buy their own uh, food. Maybe they they were poor. They could come into the party and they could sit at the back and if there's any food left over, they could have that. This woman didn't come for the leftovers. She showed up and remained behind Jesus at His feet as He's reclining at the table, elbow on the ground, Legs out. He's there. And behind him, she is there on her knees. She's weeping. And she's crying. And her tears falling off her face land on the feet of Jesus. And she takes her hair and dries off His feet. And then she breaks open the alabaster jar. In other Gospels, we hear how expensive this jar is and pours it on the feet of Jesus. And people saw her, but they didn't see her. And I just love how Luke describes this. Verse 44, listen to this. I've read this once, but I don't know if you caught this. Jesus then turned towards the who, woman and said to... You get how important that little detail is? Here she is, back in in behind. The only thing people see is a sinner. They don't see a woman. They see someone who has done wrong. They see someone who is unworthy. They see someone who should be punished. They don't see a woman as a child of God. Instead, they simply see her as a distraction. Someone who's in the way. A nuisance. And Jesus turns around and he looks at her. And he asks the question, Simon, do you see her? And Simon says, yes, in his mind, I see the sinner. But that's not what Jesus was asking. Do you see a woman? Do you see a child of God? Despite her mistakes her broken promises, her infidelity, despite all the rumors and all the truths about this woman, can you really see her as a child of God? Can you add value and worth to her life because of who she is, not what she's done? throughout the Gospels, we see over and over again that Jesus sees people. He does this because He recognizes that this is a human need that we all have. Think back just a few years. Think back to when you were a child. And maybe that's... Way too far for some of you. Maybe you just want to think back to the last time you saw a child. Can you remember seeing a little toddler? What's the game that little three, four, and five-month-old babies love to play? Peekaboo. Why do they love this game so much? It's so silly. Let's cover our face and then go peek And almost every child does what? They get so excited. Why are they excited? Because, you know, your face is gone and now it's showing? Any other time, if I walk up to somebody and said, peek they'd be like, Oh, man! Get away from me! But if I see a child and they look at me, not much, but if I do this and then do this, they're like, Oh, wow, that's really exciting. Because what they're getting a sense of is i am being seen someone is acknowledging me and and sadly there's a lot of people walking around in our community in our neighborhoods at our places of work and they feel like this is all they ever get you know life was good I was married and things were going great. Some things happened. And I got a divorce. And now this is what I see. Things were going good for me. I was popular in high school. Things didn't work out well. I ended up having a child without getting married. I'm raising my little boy by myself. And I see this. I was an okay student. I work hard. But I'm probably not the employee that's going to go up the scales and bring lots of money to the business. Think of all the ways that this world determines how valuable someone is based on their marital status, or their family, or their job, or how much money they have, or the car that they drive. And the world does this. And it starts early on as a toddler, but then it goes on up. Even as we get to 7 and 8 year old, what's one of our favorite games as elementary school kids. Hide and seek! Daddy, I'm going to go hide. I want you to find me! What is that really saying? People long to be sought after. They want to be seen. They don't want to be the one in the crowd that nobody notices. If you don't believe me, look at the multi-billion dollar a year fashion industry. What is fashion really all about? I'm going to tell you what it's not about. It is not about comfort. You cannot tell me that the fashions that are going on now are, I want to have something comfortable on. Two words, skinny jeans, okay? Who, what terrible person came up with the idea of let's wear really tight jeans and ask guys to put them on? I can wear normal sized jeans and they don't fit right. I know this. Fashion is not about comfort. It's about what? Look at me! Look at me! I want to be seen. I want you to see me for the clothes that I wear. We could talk about the fashion industry. We could talk about the millions and billions of dollars that is spent by our women putting on makeup. So the women can say, see me, notice me, notice me that I'm beautiful. And guys are like, yeah, that's terrible. I can't believe they wear makeup and high heels. Oh yeah? How about all the guys who are driving around with trucks that are lifted and they spend thousands of dollars on all these accessories so that we can say what? Why don't we do this? So people can say, look at me! See me! My truck tires are bigger than yours. My car is faster than yours. My suit is more expensive than yours. Over and over again, we have a society that is spending all their money because they want somebody just to look at them. They want somebody to see them. I should have set my clock because this is when that thing is going to start buzzing on us. I need to figure out how to do that and then I can just walk away and Flip that button for me. The reality is, is that we want to be seen. I'm not proud of this uh, time in my life that I went through. But I would not change it either. Several years ago, I went through a very difficult time in my life before moving to Hobbes. And I was really struggling with who I was. I felt like I was the sinful woman in the crowd, or maybe even crying at the feet of Jesus. And I continued to search the Scripture. and It turned out to be probably one of the best times of my life spiritually because it was an opportunity for me to grow in relationship with God because I was so broken and hurt I didn't know where else to turn. My relationship with my wife, which was good at the time, got even better because I, I realized how much of a support I had in a wonderful woman. But I remember sitting in my office at times, and, and there weren't always good days. I, I, I can remember being furious on a Sunday morning. I, I was sitting in my office and I was so mad. I would built up so anger and so much hurt. I didn't even want to walk out of my office. I was furious. And I stumbled across one of the chapters in the Psalms that really talks about what we're dealing with this morning. I want you to hear this. This comes from Psalm... 31. It says, Be merciful to me, Lord, for I am in distress. My eyes grow weak with sorrow, my soul and body with grief. My life is consumed by anguish and my years by groaning. My strength fails me because of my affliction and my bones grow weak. Because all of my enemies, I am the utter contempt of my neighbors and an object of dread to my closest friends. Those who see me on the street flee from me. I am forgotten as though I were dead. I have become like broken pottery. But I trust in You, Lord. I say, You are my God. My times are in Your hands. Deliver me from the hands of my enemies, from those who pursue me. Let Your face shine on Your servant. Save me in Your unfailing love. Praise be to the Lord, for He showed me the wonders of His love when I was in a city under siege. In my alarm I said, I am cut off from your sight. Yet you heard my cry for mercy when I called to you for help. That's towards the end of that chapter. There's some other portions in that I encourage you to read. But I, I hardly could ever read that last verse and not get choked up when I I would read this, I am cut off from your side. The thought of even God not wanting to look my way was so heartbreaking. And yet, as the psalmist said, you heard my cry for mercy when I called to you for help. God sees you. Not the you that you see in the mirror. Not what other people see of you. God doesn't see you on your worst day and judge you by that. He doesn't even judge you by what He sees on your best day. God sees you, the real you, the you that He loves. He sees the you that after you had been weighed and measured, He said, I will die for you, the one I see. So my challenge for you this week is twofold. My first one is this. I pray that you, that you seek Jesus that you find Him and that you see Him for who He is. Build that relationship with Him. Who you are in His eyes is not determined by what you've done. And the second thing is this. Just as Jesus modeled all throughout His ministry, not only see Him, but be willing to see other people the way He sees them. Not as broken, or messy, or lost. Don't see them based on their color or their political status, or they where they fit in, in the company. Don't see them based on the car that they drive or the team that they like. Not their marital status. See them As Jesus sees, he stopped and he looked. He turned around and he listened. This world, this community, is full of people who are waiting to see this. That's exactly what Jesus has done for us, and that it's what he calls us to do for other people. This morning as we stand and sing a song of invitation, I want to ask you to open your eyes to see Jesus and to see others as He sees them. Please join us as we stand and sing.